Inism. The Road to Rome. By Augustus Toplady. That there is no such a thing as preaching Christ and Him crucified unless you preach what is nowadays called Calvinism. I have my own ideas, and those I state boldly. It is a nickname to call it Calvinism. Calvinism is the gospel, and nothing else. Charles H. Spurgeon, The New Park Street Pulpit, Volume 1, 1856 And I will go as far as Martin Luther in that strong assertion of his where he says, If any man doth ascribe of salvation, even the very least, to the free will of man, he knoweth nothing of grace, and he hath not learned Jesus Christ aright. It may seem a harsh sentiment. But he who in his soul believes that man does of his own free will turn to God, cannot have been taught of God for that is one of the first principles taught us when God begins with us, that we have neither will nor power but that he gives both. That he is Alpha and Omega in the salvation of men. Charles H. Spurgeon from the Sermon Free Will a Slave. 1855, referring to Luther's book The Bondage of the Will. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John 1 verses 12 and 13. Whose voice do you hear? My sheep saith Christ, hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. O most worthy scriptures! Which ought to compel us to have a faithful remembrance, and to note the tenor thereof. Which is, the sheep of Christ shall never perish. Doth Christ mean part of his elect or all, think you? I do hold and affirm, and also faithfully believe that he meant all as elect and not part, as some do full and godly affirm. I confess and believe assuredly that there shall never any of them perish for I have good authority so to say. Because Christ is my author and saith, if it were possible the very elect should be deceived. Ergo, it is not possible that they can be so deceived that they shall ever finally perish or be damned, wherefore whosoever doth affirm that there may be any, that is any of the elect lost, doth affirm that Christ hath a torn body. The above valuable letter of recantation is thus inscribed, a letter to the congregation of free willers, by one that had been of that persuasion, but come off, and now a prisoner for religion, which superscription will hereafter, in its due place, supply us with a remark of more than slight importance. John Wesley, a friend of Rome? To occupy the place of argument, it has been alleged that Mr. Wesley is an old man. And the Church of Rome is still older than he. Is that any reason why the enormities, either of the mother or the son, should pass unchastised? It has also been suggested, that Mr. Wesley is a very laborious man, not more laborious, I presume, than a certain active being, who is said to go to and fro in the earth, and walk up and down in it, nor yet more laborious, I should imagine, than certain ancient sectarians, concerning whom it was long ago said, What unto you scribes, hypocrites? For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, nor, by any means, so usefully laborious, as a certain diligent member of the community, respecting whose variety of occupations the public have lately received the following intelligence, the truth of the following instance of industry may be depended on, a poor man with a large family, now cries milk, every morning, in Lothbury, and the neighborhood of the Royal Exchange. At eleven, he wills about a barrel of potatoes. At one, he cleans shoes at the change. After dinner, 
cries milk again. In the evening, sells sprats. And at night, finishes the measure of his labor as a watchman. The quarrel is with the wolf, Mr. Selden, moreover, reminds me, pages 128. That, while the shepherds are quarreling, the wolf gets into the sheepfold. Not impossible but it so happens, that the present quarrel is not among the shepherds, but with the wolf himself. Which quarrel is warranted by every maxim of pastoral meekness and fidelity. I am further told, that, while I am berating the Armenians, Rome and the devil laugh in their sleeves. Admitting that Mr. Selin might derive this anecdote from the fountainhead, the parties themselves, yet, as neither they nor he are very conspicuous for veracity, I construe the intelligence by the rule of reverse, though authenticated by the deposition of their right trusty and well-beloved cousin and counselor. Once more, I am charged with excessive superciliousness, and majesty of pride, and why not charged with having seven heads and ten horns, and a tail as long as a bell rope? After all, what has my pride, or my humility, to do with the argument in hand? Whether I am hearty, or meek, is of no more consequence either to that, or to the public, than whether I am tall or short, however, I am, at this very time, giving one proof, that my majesty of pride can stoop that even to ventilate the impertinences of Mr. Selen. Armenianism at home in Rome. But, however frivolous his cavils, the principles for which he contends are of the most pernicious nature and tendency. I must repeat, what already seems to have given him so much offense, that Armenianism came from Rome, and leads thither again. Julian, Bishop of Eclana a contemporary and disciple of Pelagius, was one of those who endeavored, with much art, to gild the doctrines of that heresiarch, in order to render them more sightly and palatable. The Pelagian system, thus varnished and palliated, soon began to acquire the softer name of semi-Pelagianism. Let us take a view of it, as drawn to our hands by the celebrated Mr. Bauer, who himself, in the main, a professed Pelagian, and therefore less likely to present us with an unfavorable portrait of the system he generally approved. Among the principles of that sect, this learned writer enumerates the following, the notion of election and reprobation, independent of our merits or demerits, is maintaining a fatal necessity, is the bane of all virtue, and serves only to render good men remiss in working out their salvation, and to drive sinners to despair. The decrees of election and reprobation are posterior to, and in consequence of, our good or evil works, as foreseen by God from all eternity. Is not this to the very language of modern Armenianism? Do not the partisans of that scheme argue on the same identical terms? Should it be said, true, this proves that Armenianism is Pelagianism revived. But it does not prove, that the doctrines of Armenianism are originally popish. A moment's cool attention will make it plain that they are. Let us again hear Mr. Bauer, who, after the passage just quoted, immediately adds, on these two last propositions, the Jesuits found their whole system of grace and free will. Agreeing therein with the semi-Pelagians, against the Jansenists and St. Augustine. The Jesuits were molded into a regular body, towards the middle of the 16th century, toward the close of the same century, Arminius began to infest the Protestant churches. It needs therefore no great penetration, to discern from what source he drew his poison. His journey to Rome, though Monsignor Bale affects to make light of the inferences which were at that very time deduced from it, was not for nothing. 
If, however, any are disposed to believe, that Arminius imbibed his doctrines from the Socinians in Poland, with whom, it is certain, he was on terms of intimate friendship, I have no objection to splitting the difference he might import some of his tenets from the Rakovian brethren, and yet be indebted, for others, to the disciples of Loyola. Papists and Predestination Certain it is, that Arminius himself was sensible, how greatly the doctrine of predestination widens the distance between Protestantism and Popery. There is no point of doctrines, says he, which the Papists, the Anabaptists, and the new Lutherans more fiercely oppose, nor by means of which they heap more discredit on the Reformed churches, and bring the Reformed system itself into more odium. For they, that is the Papists, and etc. assert, that no fouler blasphemy against God can be thought or expressed, than is contained in the doctrine of predestination. For which reason, he advises the Reformed world to discard predestination from their creed, in order that they may live on more brotherly terms with the Papists, the Anabaptists, and such like. The Armenian writers make no scruple to seize and retail each other's arguments, as common property. Hence, Samuel heard copies from Van Harmon the self-same observation which I have now cited. Predestination says Samuel is an opinion odious to the Papists, opening their foul mouths, against our church and religion, consequently, our adopting the opposite doctrines of universal grace, and free will, would, by bringing us so many degrees nearer to the Papists, conduce to shut their mouths, and make them regard us, so far at least, as their own orthodox and dearly beloved brethren, whence it follows, that, as Armenianism came from Rome, so it leads thither again. The Jesuits and Predestination If the joint verdict of Arminius himself, and of his English proselyte horde, will not turn the scale, let us add the testimony of a professed Jesuit, by way of making up full weight. When Archbishop Laud's papers were examined, a letter was found among them, thus endorsed with the prelate's own hand, March, 1628. A Jesuit's letter, sent to the rector at Bruxelles, about the ensuing parliament. The design of this letter was to give the superior of the Jesuits, then resident at Brussels, an account of the posture of civil and ecclesiastical affairs in England. An extract from it I shall here subjoin, Father Rector, let not the damp of astonishment seize upon your ardent and zealous soul, in apprehending the so and unexpected calling of a parliament. We have now many strings to our bow. We have planted that sovereignty drug Armenianism, which we hope will purge the Protestants from their heresy and it flourisheth and bears fruit in due season. For the better prevention of the Puritans, the Armenians have already locked up the Dukes of Buckingham ears. And we have those of our own religion, which stand continually at the Duke's chamber, to see who goes in and out. We cannot be too circumspect and careful in this regard. I am, at this time, transported with joy to see how happily all instruments and means, as well great as lesser, cooperate unto our purposes. But, to return unto the main fabric, our foundation is Armenianism. The Armenians and projectors, as it appears in the premises, affect mutation. This we second and enforce by probable arguments. The Sovereign Drug Armenianism The Sovereign Drug, Armenianism, which said the Jesuit, we that as we Papists have planted in England, did indeed bid fair to purge our Protestant church effectually. How merrily Popery and Armenianism, at that time, danced hand in hand, may be learned from Tyndall, 
the churches were adorned with paintings, images, altarpieces, and etc. And, instead of communion tables, altars were set up, and bowings to them and the sacramental elements enjoined. The predestinarian doctrines were forbidden, not only to be preached, but to be printed. And the Armenian sense of the articles was encouraged and propagated. The Jesuit, therefore, did not exult without cause. The sovereign drug, so lately planted, did indeed take deep root downward, and bring forth fruit upward, under the cherishing auspices of Charles and Laud. Halin, too, acknowledges, that the state of things was truly described by another Jesuit of that age, who wrote, Protestantism waxes weary of itself. The doctrine by the Armenians, who then sat at the helm is altered in many things, for which their progenitors forsook the Church of Rome, as Limbus Patrum. Prayer for the dead, and possibility of keeping God's commandments. And the accounting of Calvinism to be heresy at least, if not treason. Armenianism from the pit. The maintaining of these positions, by the court divines, was an alteration indeed, which the abandoned Halin ascribes to the ingenuity and moderation found in some professors of our religion. If we sum up the evidence that has been given, we shall find its amount to be, that Armenianism came from the Church of Rome, and leads back again to the pit whence it was digged. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. 
Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.